0: everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 335, Us versus Them, recorded August 26, 2018, and brought to you by Element Opie Productions, elementopie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroach, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the oxygen Engineer. Wakeham.
1: Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and glad to see you're finally embracing that Sultan and full time.
2: <laughs> you know, I, since you chose the name Us versus Them, now I've got this stupid Pink Floyd song in my head.
0: There are no stupid Pink Floyd songs.
2: Well, that's true. Yeah. It's actually, I think it's Us and Them. But anyway.
0: Ugh. And Jinda says hello from the chat room. Hello, Jinda. You're now famous Jinda. among tens of people. Uh, (laughs) congratulations uh so i have a quick question for the audience um my uh my church is looking for a way to record our services um not from the board for for a lot of technical reasons a line out from the board for recording and for broadcasting onto youtube um or or facebook or whatever uh are not is not a uh a viable solution in this scenario. So we want to record the room without getting all the, woof, 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 woof and the, and the, the, just the junk that comes with recording a room. Um, so anybody out there having experience with that? Mark at element, op, element I, I, I welcome your feedback. We're, we're expanding, experiment, experimenting with some things right now, but the problem is what sounds perfectly normal to a human in the back of the room. Sounds like utter crap biscuits, to a recording device in that exact same position in the, as the human in the back of the room. It's amazing how that works. Um,
1: Yeah. And you said it won't work for you, but the way we do it in our church is we have one coming out from the board and we have a mic on the camera we use and we kind of blend those two together. Yeah. So
0: I, I basically, I think we could probably come out of the board, but the tech guy tells me that's not, possible I don't believe him but I'm not in a position to argue with him. So see
1: my 20 years of experience <laughs> overrides your 6 months of
0: experience it says we can. So anyway, that's my question to the audience. And now Seth, what what the heck is Harlem Nights? The Eddie Murphy movie from the late 80s. Oh, okay. Did did you ever watch it? Uh I vaguely remember it was, it was him and Arsenio Hall in about 50 roles, right? uh no No, they only had
1: like one role each but it had red fox richard pryor dela reese every i mean tons of people in there and i was i was looking through my amazon prime going because i went through my tv i i tried to watch one of the preseason games and i should have left it on i could have fallen asleep much earlier but um i finally started forget that i went to amazon prime flipping through the new things and uh uh, harlem knights was there funny movie 20 years ago that is still actually yeah yeah 20 years ago so 30 years ago golly it came out in 89 so that's 30 man i'm getting old but anyway it it still holds up well you can see that like special effects and stuff have increased and so it the technical aspect isn't as good, but there was this one. Okay, spoilers. Uh, yeah. for spoilers a 30, for a 30 year
0: old movie. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So there's this one scene where Danny Aiello is talking to Richard Pryor. And he's just kind of, when Richard Pryor walks into his house, because Danny Aiello plays a police officer who had, like, gone into his house and was waiting on him, he was kind of singing this song, you know, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got the swing. And he was just kind of singing it softly so that Richard Pryor was knowing, knew he was there, and then they talked. And then the next scene was at Richard Pryor's nightclub, and that's the song the band was playing. And I went, oh, foreshadowing, he's going to be in this scene, so... <laughs> (laughs) It was, and I was like, yep. And I was, I just thought that was really cool that I picked up on that element of foreshadowing to kind of lend continuity to something that was the next day and just a random hard scene change. It was pretty cool. And so, you know, Mark, all you're talking is rubbing off on me. So your ninth grade literature teacher
0: will be proud.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I recognized it in real time.
0: Good. Uh, And moving on to uh, a slightly more somber note, right around 24 hours ago, Senator John McCain, the senator for uh, Arizona, and we happen to have an Arizonan with us, uh, passed away after a a lengthy battle uh, with illness, and uh, Miles had something to say about it.
2: Well, I actually just wanted to, I, I don't want to get all kind of, you know, preachy about John McCain or anything because some people love the guy and some people got rubbed up the wrong way by the guy. But, you know, I can only tell a quick story. I just thought I'd throw this in because it was something that was unusually close to home. Um, We moved to Phoenix in 2002 and my daughter, I think, was somewhere in maybe about four, four years old or something like that at the time. And after a few years of being here, you know, as kids do, they want to do piano lessons or dance lessons and she chose to become a a ballerina, dancer. You know, that's what kids do when they're that age, right? So we went and found a local dance studio and my wife got very involved in the studio um, because of all the kids, you know. That's what mums do, I guess. And um, meanwhile, we'd also started uh, buying some rental properties in Arizona. We bought a Uh, fourplex uh, before the big housing crash and one of the units in there we rented to this this old guy and he was kind of short, frail, he had diabetes, he was very sick and I wasn't sure if this guy was, you know, going to be healthy enough to make it but he was a really decent guy and, you know, over the time you get to know your tenants and I spoke to him and I found out he was a Vietnam veteran and he was one of those guys that was dishonorably discharged from the army because he refused to follow an order from his commanding officer to effectively torture a village and kill all the villagers inside. And there was a lot of stories about this. I mean, I'm sure we've all heard those stories or watched, you know, movies about it, that sort of thing. Anyway, as a result of these guys being dishonorably discharged, they were not allowed VA benefits. They were kind of... They didn't get any pension. They didn't get any, I mean, he got the minimal amount of VA healthcare and this guy was dying. He was not very well. Well, funny thing happened. My wife with her relationship in this dance studio and this guy that we were renting to, it just so happens. One of the other mothers worked for John McCain. She was in his office in uh, Arizona and she had direct line of dialogue and my wife had just spoken to her on the side saying, you know, well, we, you know, we got this tenant and he's an ex-Vietnam vet and he was dishonorably discharged whatever. And her ears sort of peaked up a bit. And next thing you know, my wife is telling McCain the whole story about this guy. And funny thing is a year later, all of his benefits were reinstated. His healthcare was reinstated. He got healthy. He had a good life. And he got back paid all the way back to like the 80s. So the guy walked away with nearly a million dollars in his pocket because somebody gave a damn. And I, I look back at that and I didn't know John McCain from a bar of soap, but everyone has a little story. And I just wanted to tell that story because it gave a side to somebody who took took care of the you know other troops took care of their own, if you like um, anyway, that was it It's a positive story. I know that in a time when somebody passes it's it's you know everyone's sad and and there'll be these sort of stories in the news that are just you know s- film snippets of every little bit that you're going to get but I just like to tell a personal story once in a while when these things happen
0: you know right now uh, post um McCain's death, uh, there are two, two factions out there that are uh, hard at work. One is trying to build his legacy and remind you of every great thing he ever did and uh, of every noble deed that ever took place. Uh, and then there's others who are trying to prevent uh, the building of a legacy or maybe destroy what legacy he has by reminding you of every terrible thing he ever did, every, every harsh word he ever spoke, every mistake he ever made, um, and the fact is that all humans are are terrible people. That comes with humanity, uh, but all humans have the capacity for greatness. That's also what comes with humanity. But what what sparked my thinking and what we'll be talking about tonight is another seemingly intrinsic um, attitude or, or attribute of humanity is this tribalism, this this us versus them, right? And it's it's uh, being evident right now. Uh, all you have to do is just you know search. Google uh, McCain and and you'll see two tribes develop pretty quickly the pro McCain and the anti McCain and um, we talk about this fairly often uh, you know Seth mentioned the NFL that is nothing but tribalism rampant you know when I go out somewhere and I'm wearing my Dallas Cowboys hat and I have the the blue hat with the white star on it um, I'm I'm marking myself as a member of a tribe and anybody who is in that tribe recognizes that symbol and we have this shared connection immediately. Also, anybody who is uh, opposed to my tribe immediately recognizes that symbol and decides, you know, whether uh, deep down or only in a good-natured ribbing uh, sort of way to not like me, right? So the, the people in my tribe see that sign and like me. People outside of that, uh, my tribe see that sign and don't like me. And those, that's a thing I put on, right? But there's also a thing that I am. You know, I'm, I'm a middle-aged white guy. That makes me part of a tribe. I'm a fat guy. That makes me part of a tribe. Um, I don't intend to be parts of those tribes, you know, but but I am. And and I, I the question that I want to discuss here, and it's it's a very going to be a very off the cuff sort of uh, stream of consciousness discussion. Uh, is is there can we ever move beyond tribalism, uh, even in in your sci fi right? You, you asked, um, Roddenberry pictured a world where. Um, the first contact with an alien being brought humanity together and ended tribalism on Earth. But it just made us part of a larger tribe. The Federation is now this tribe of, of many planets, and the whole series was about this tribe meeting other tribes, trying to, to bring some tribes in and trying to fight some other tribes um, and so even in this quasi utopian future that Roddenberry created, tribalism is essentially the defining factor in every one of those episodes. It is such a huge part of our lives and we internalize it and we accept it. And I just wonder, can we move beyond it or will, is it just as much a part of us as, as any other marking of being a human, of, of breathing oxygen and of consuming um carbohydrates you know is 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 that just now see a keto faction right now just shut me off because i said consuming carbohydrates there's a tribe there that just declared me an enemy because i said that and there's almost that's what political correctness is right it's trying to not give your enemies any ammo i hadn't really thought of it but right now but that seems to me the crux of political correctness is trying to uh be non-offensive to every tribe which, guess what, makes you a tribe. You're now part of the political correctness tribe. All right, so I've I've spewed words long enough. You guys go now.
2: Well, let me th- throw a couple of thoughts. Um, I believe, and I think it's reasonable, that we flawed humans um, have a, an innate need of progression, uh, and it comes down to where we came from, you know, as, as uh, from the caves, the jungles, the, the, the beaches, wherever it might be, we've always been dealing with threat uh, from other species or from other humans. And I think that we are just, in our DNA, we're just pre-programmed to look at something and determine, kind of have like a, a, an on-off switch with it. Is it friend? Is it foe? And identification of of that is key to our survival. So when we think about tribes, it's kind of like a modern day progression of that learning experience that we all have to identify threat or friend or, or you know, ally or whatever. Um, it's an unfortunate thing that becomes very it's, – it's easier for people to understand that when they think in terms of a, a – a a a Boolean argument, a true-false, an on-off, a a, black-white, you know, a a plus-minus kind of thing. But that's the way kind of physics works in the world, you know, where you've got night and day and and, and people have to think in terms of threat or non-threat. And tribe is just an identification of how you, you or the person you're dealing with fits into that model. That's just why I look at it. Seth?
1: So I, we, there will always be tribalism. So the question isn't like, you know, let's, it's how big a tribe do you want? And in a way you can almost argue how big of a person do you want to be? Are you going to be such a small and tiny person that your tribe can only include you? Or are you going to grow into the Ultimate perfect person who try whose tribe includes every not only every person but every life on the planet earth. So you could almost look in this in terms of a developmental growth chart, and instead of seeing, Hey, you're six foot one today, hey, your tribe is two, hey, your tribe is three or four, and you know, you're unlocking levels as you grow enough to see that the that there are some differences that are good and, you know, and then there's some differences that are just different. You know, some people are petty enough to make, I like chocolate. You like strawberry, you know, death to the loser, let's fight it out. And then, you know, and then you can kind of grow beyond and go, Oh, I like chocolate. You like strawberry, more chocolate for me, more strawberry for you. We can both live great and you can progress your way up and see the value in having and it can go beyond people having others around who fill in the gaps in your life versus thinking the only way you can survive is if you can take care of all the gaps by yourself
0: i'm just trying to process that um even even within let's say we have re- achieved a status of all humanity is me, and I am all humanity. You know that's, um, that's sort of what the teachings of Buddha are, right? I have become all, and all things have become me. Um, even then, there's still going to be some us versus them. I, I guess my question revolves around what happens to a human if you take the us versus them out.
2: Does they that die.
0: does that fundamentally break a person?
2: Yeah, they died. The species dies because we cannot evolve unless we can identify threat. The only way that that would occur and this is that if a, an alien race came down upon planet Earth to attack us and then all human beings would rally together as a common tribe because it now had a common enemy, its, it's yin and its yang would right. balance. If there was no alien threat – there will always be war. There will always be threat and respond to threat within the human race. It's just in our DNA, and we cannot change that.
0: You're going really macro on that, Miles. You talk about you've used the word enemy and you've used war, right? But mm-hmm. but that there's so much more than that. Like just in my team of about 20 people at work, there's the group of people that like sushi and the group of people that call it bait. Um, you know, and that's, that's tribes, right? And nobody's mad at anybody. But like, if if five of us say, "Hey, I'm going to go have sushi," there's always that one person who has to say, "I enjoy your bait," and and you know that's, the using the word "bait" is tribalism in itself. It, it, nobody's bad anybody. We're not going to throw sticks at each other, but it's just a way of saying I'm not part of your group. At least for this next hour, while we're at lunch, I'm not part of your group. Um, and it's it's like there's a certain part of us that takes pride in that. There is there is. Um, pleasure in not being part of the group as much as there's pleasure in being part of a group. We seek out the groups. Maybe that's an American thing. Maybe listeners all over the world, tell me if that's not, maybe that's just an American thing. And my experience is uniquely American, but we um, we want to be a part of a group, but we also really have to say a part of a group that we're not. It's almost, uh, it's almost not worthwhile to have a, a tribe unless there's a tribe that you're not and you have to specifically say I'm not uh you know to, to go back to the sports thing right uh, i i'm a cowboys fan therefore i must hate all eagles fans that's just that's the rules you know i didn't write the rules that's just the rules um and and <laughs> it's so weird that there there is this antagonism and, and miles you're going to the the big war version but even the, like why is it always struggle? Why can't it just be? You know, I like Mexican food. Well, I like Thai food. Great, good. That's that group. Why do we have to? Why do we have to say something denigrating about Thai food if we like Mexican food?
2: We're exercising our need to feel comfortable that we can identify a threat, um, even at the minimal level. And it's like the Star Trek guys versus the Star Wars guys, or the. You know, it, it happens in all in all cases. We have to identify something that we feel threatened by, or something that we don't feel comfortable with, right. or something that isn't natural to us. And then, having done that, we find it more comfortable to surround ourselves with like minds. Um, that's just how we are. I don't. This is where I have a real issue with. Liberals, in terms of this, like Kumbaya, everybody, one world, you know, no. It doesn't work like that because no matter what you do, there's always going to be somebody different out there and you're always going to have an innate need to identify somebody as a threat. And that doesn't mean that you have to act upon that, but you have to be respectful of the fact that that's our DNA. There's always going to be somebody different and the best we can try to get here is a protocol which respects them and what they are and respects yourself for what it is and one does not encroach upon the other. And if we can achieve that, It will be, you know, copacetic, but we'll never, ever have a 100%. We're all family because it doesn't work that way. It's just not when that's not our DNA.
1: So I think part of it is like you titled this us versus them. And you part of maturing has a person is being able to tell the difference between us versus them and us and them. So, you know, there's certain people who want to make it us versus them over silly stuff. And then there's other people who want to try to make it us and them over things that can get you killed. And so maturity and growth of character is to realize which distinctions matter and which distinctions are fun to play around with.
0: So you two seem to be developing two different tribes here. Um, so Miles is of the uh, the mindset that tribalism equals war, equals safety, and, and to re- eliminate tribalism is to um, destroy the essential humanity. Um, I'm paraphrasing both of you, so correct me if I'm wrong. And Seth, you're saying that tribalism is to be outgrown and that to to reach quintessence humanity, we must lay aside tribalism. So Miles says that tribalism is quintessently humanity, human, and and Seth is saying to reach peak human, we must lay aside tribalism.
1: I mean, I'm more of you've got to make sure your tribalism is over something that is important so you know i mean I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna fight because people like coffee and i don't you know that's that's something to joke about and rib each other over but you know i am gonna there are things that i will fight about you know harming the people i care about in a physical or deeply emotional way, that does get me riled up and that can bring the pain to the person doing it. So I just want to make sure that the tribalism that I'm striving for is a mature, life sustaining tribalism and not a petty, underdeveloped tribalism. And I'm pretty sure Miles would believe the same thing, but it, it's just so easy in today's, you know, instant flame wars where everybody, um, nobody has self-control and everybody's anonymous on the internet to, and I, cause I, I keep falling into it. You know, you're spewing hate and vitriol and venom laden daggers at people that if you met them, you know, at a restaurant you would probably end up talking about the weather and realizing everything you had in common but because you're a republican and they're a democrat you know you're thinking i wonder if we can make firing squads and hangings legal in the country again so
2: anyway uh, that, that's- you're right you're right on Seth i mean that's the key here is the separation of tribalism as a thing and a recognition that it is a thing and an entirely separate issue of respect and of protocol and of ceremony and of um, how we interact with each other, that the two in my mind are mutually exclusive, but they get forgotten because people will use tribalism as an excuse to put their respect away. And that's when we get into trouble. You can have tribalism It's fine for you to love the cowboys. It's fine for me to love the eagles. I don't know. I I don't, but it it would be. It's fine. But it comes down to whether or not we all agree on a protocol in which we can behave and then get along. And if we can't respect that protocol, we're like a a four-year-old child in in a glassware store that goes in and looks at all the glasses and knows that they could break them all if they wanted to. And something in the back of their mind, usually their parents tells them, you don't want to do that, Sonny, because you do that. You're going to put down a rain of hurt on yourself. And that's the thing that holds them back. When we've got that, that, that line, innate line in our heads that says, yeah, I didn't agree with that YouTube video that's there, but I'm not going to be the troll that writes that stupid comment there, right? If you don't cross that line, then everything can work. You can still disagree with somebody. You can agree with their right to say it, but you don't cross the line and seek, seek to the lowest common level and be a troll. And if we can recognize that that behavior – is different than the reason why you might feel like you want to do that. It's that self-restraint that you've got to hold yourself back. We can progress. (laughs) But I I think maybe in the last 10 years, we've taken a great step backwards in regards to that because of the anonymity of the internet.
0: You mentioned the internet troll. There are exceptions. There are people who just want to watch the world burn. But I I think most internet trolls actually think they're doing the right thing. They're enlightening. This person is clearly ignorant. It's my job to to bring them up. Um and so they're they're trying to aspire to Seth's um um way of thinking of, of making everybody my tribe. They're incorrect. If I make them correct, now we're we're all on the same side. So I will write something cutting and snarky and insulting because that somehow makes them right just like when you spank a child bring down the world of hurts to use your phrase um that correction that painful correction makes a better person and i think most internet trolls actually think that's what they're doing with a few exceptions of the ones who just want to make the world burn
2: well many of them will hide behind the banner of tribalism as a justification for bad behavior i can say that because i'm a staunch you know fill in the blanks right um no, you can't say that. You can't be an a-hole because you're a member of a tribe. Otherwise, you're going to make that tribe you're a member of the a-hole like. tribe. Exactly. <laughs> and that the tribe themselves will reject you eventually. It may not be immediate, but eventually they will reject you because they don't want to be perceived as that way. Otherwise, they cannot put forward their um, you know, uh, opinions or their, their, pro, their, their, own, their own thing, their own function. Um so no you can't you can't misbehave there's a difference between maturity and tribalism and and that's the key if we can just see that as two separate things this will work
0: It you you mentioned being put out of the tribe you know if we, if we go back to the the primitive man uh, metaphor that we're using here um anyone who is dangerous who is uh we're not sure right you you went back to the friend or foe people who are not sure if they're friend or foe, if we go back to primitive man, a, a deformed baby, we're not sure if they're a friend or foe. The, the smart thing to do, the abundance of caution thing to do is to put them out of the tribe. So we're protecting our tribe. And we do that. Um, and we saw that just a couple of weeks ago in in the, whole, the James Gunn thing, right? Um, Hollywood put him out of their tribe because they realized he might be a danger to them. He said some things a decade ago, that today aren't appropriate and hollywood said ah that's dangerous let's put him out of our tribe and this is you know it's exactly the same thing almost anything that you could talk about today any conflict could be framed in this concept of uh either building my tribe or uh, protecting my tribe and we all it's all well-intentioned uh but somehow intentions seem to be more important than outcomes but, but I wanted to make a point. I think that, you know, I asked the question, what happens if you remove tribalism from a person entirely? And, and Miles, your, your knee-jerk immediate answer was they die. I, I think we have a class of humans today f- for whom tribalism don't exist. We call them sociopaths. They belong to no group. Um, they are uh, lone wolves unto themselves. Um, they often move from group to group because they are part of no group. They can blend in. But sociopath, nobody wants to be called a sociopath, right? Not all sociopaths are dangerous, and all all dangerous people are sociopaths. But I think when you remove tribalism, you end up with an absolute deformity of what we know as humanity. And our label for it today is sociopath.
1: I mean, you could also make the point that their tribe is just a tribe of one. So they are the lowest rung of humanity, not necessarily outside humanity. They're just the lowest base form of it. Um, but you know, yeah. So tribalism, it's, it's sort of, you know, tribalism is sort of like anger. It's not necessarily good, or it's not necessarily bad. It's how you, how you use the emotion and what the emotion does to you that determines if it's good or bad.
2: You can also, the, it, it, it's, good. it's a little complicated because you can be within a tribe, but within that tribe, you can be contrary to the tribe's uh, pro, uh, protocol. Like, I, I, I'm kind of like that. I'm in the United States. I'm a US citizen, but I don't tend to operate my life like the majority of people of my age in my race and in my group. I tend to be quite contrary to that. Um, that's just me. I've always been like that. I've always been a bit of a black sheep. Um, but having said that, I still associate with a tribe, right? I'm still in that group. But it doesn't mean that I have to follow the direction of that tribe exact. It's, this is not a, a perfect science where you say if the tribe says – I'm a Republican, therefore I'm going to vote this way. I don't like abortion. I don't like this. I don't like that. I'm conservative on money, blah, blah, blah. That is somewhat naive because each one of those issues may not represent the entirety of the challenges that that group has to deal with. And there may be areas where you don't agree with one or the other. And you can still associate with a group. You don't have to necessarily be you know on every single part of that groups you know commandments if you like i think
0: that to some degree we don't know who we are until we know who we're against i think that is a fundamental part of the formation of a human personality um we we can know what what we do you know and and i have young children I'm getting less young every day. That's how that works. Um, but I spent a lot of time in their early days saying, "We don't do that." Or here's what we do. I'm, I'm inculcating. I'm brainwashing them. Right? That m- most parenting is brainwashing. Um, and you know, when I bring in, for example, my religious be- beliefs into my family, I have I have loaned my faith to my child. At some point, that faith has to become hers. She either will accept it or reject it. That's that's her choice but she cannot live off of my faith her whole life at some point she has to make it her own that's true of almost everything where you you get from your tribe this is how we do things but miles to to your example you have to choose to accept that and and you either do or you don't and and there's no there's nothing that can make you accept every plank of every platform of every part of every tribe but you know you have to find this go along to get along thing you at some point when you become too contrarian the tribe puts you out mm-hmm. and you're on your own and you you have a choice to either go find your own tribe which works or if you if you're a charismatic person you can build your own tribe everybody come to me i will be the foundation of a new tribe that certainly happens but i to the people who i, I think I, to, to go back to my original point you we can't really know what we stand for until we know what we stand against and often that is you have to see something and 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 say that that is abhorrent to me now let me go think of why it's abhorrent to me and let me formulate my thoughts about that um and i think too many people right now are still living on their parents faith to to stretch that analogy they they are republicans because they were republicans and whatever the republican party tells them that's what they believe or they are um actors and, and they do whatever Hollywood says, or they're scientists, and they do whatever scientists say. Whether they believe it or not, they go along to get along. Um, and, and I think that this tribalism thing, that's the downside of that, is it squelches individuality in such a way that at some point you have to surrender yourself to the tribe, which is both you know, beneficial and, and, but also damning in that you would never get to be the, the person you truly are. Uh, because you're having to accept what the tribe says. Uh, that was a lot of rambling. Did any of that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, let, let me throw a couple of uh, contra- a, a couple of uh, expansions on that. Um, if everybody in the tribe acts herd-like, and they all follow the same direction because the tribe says this is what we do, and we're all going to do it, and so without question, we all follow that path then what happens is we're putting all of our faith in that the leader of the tribe, the person who, the shepherd, the person at the, at the front that's moving the herd along has the best interest of everybody in the tribe before their own. And human nature and history will show that that rarely occurs. You know, the old absolute power corrupts absolutely thing. Um, and that's the problem with tribes is that it's based purely on ideology before it's based on proclamation, so somebody has to firstly agree with the ideology of the tribe, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to abide by all proclamations of the leader of the tribe. Is that, is, is that going to go to what you were saying? I think so. And, and
0: sometimes the leader is the tribe. you know sometimes there's not a leader. The, you know the, If you've ever watched a herd of cows, there's not a leader. They just kind of meander around until they generally find a direction, uh, and I think that's what a, a lot of what's going on. Um, it's the what's the what's the story of ancient Greece? I can't remember where um, you go into the cornfield and you find or the wheat field, you find the stalks that are that are higher than the others, and you cut them off. Um, and that's the lesson there is that uh, you to make everybody uh, to 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 have peace, you have to cut off those who stand above the others. Um, the, the ancient, uh, Asia, uh, Japanese, uh, proverb, there's that the nail that gets that sticks up, gets hammered down. That's a very conformity, uh, minded sort of thing. And that works, but also without, without leaders, without stocks that stand above by the others, without nails that stick up, there is no progress. There's no advancement. You're just a herd meandering aimlessly along. So there's, there's a tug there between being part of the tribe and creating a new tribe or, or steering your tribe. Seth, what, what are you thinking?
1: Well, a couple of random thoughts since we're just kind of throwing those out now. A plane takes <laughs> off. <laughs> a plane takes off best against the wind. Um, you know, if if there's nothing coming against it, how is it going to soar? It'll just kind of sit there on the ground. Um, and two, you know, it, if all of life were like a democracy, a herd of pigs would elect the farmer who fills the the trough you know, president every time, regardless of how many he takes out the back and slaughters. So you can't just go along with the group because you're lured in under false pretenses. Hey, you know, come to the dark side. We have cookies. Oh, by the way, we take your soul as well. But oh, wait, I already ate the cookie. So you can't take it back. So you've got to you've got to put some thought into your tribe. And this is whatever, you know, your faith, you know, Christian Mormonism, Buddhist Islam, you got to put some faith. You got to put some thought into that, you know, Democrat or Republican. You need to put some thought. Is the government the answer or are you the answer for your problems? You've got to put some thought in there. Do you want to try to figure out, you know, how to flint nap things or do you want to learn computers for a trade? You need to put some thought in that. So you've got to take the time to examine what comes at you and don't just get carried along with the flow because you know if that lead lemming just goes off the cliff everybody thinks he's headed to a swimming pool so there's a whole bunch of randomness <laughs> that just yeah
0: I, I think, as all discussions do, right around the thirty-minute mark, it devolves into just random platitudes and, and quotes. So uh, we're, we've reached that point. Uh, congratulations, uh, we've had a, we've had a full discussion. But I, I think Seth, you make an excellent point. You um, the you have to be constantly questioning your position in in any tribe, and that that questioning is what builds character and what builds strength. And so um, my hope is that you, the listener. We'll start looking at the world in terms of tribes. Look around and see how many tribes you see in your day, right? And, and ask yourself why those tribes exist and ask yourself if you want to be a part of one or not. I think a lot of the times people just get, you know, they get born into a tribe or get sucked into a tribe or they're just, you know, wandering along and a tribe says, Hey, come without. And then, then that defines their whole life without any thought, without any personal responsibility, and so I hope that this discussion is has been one that will just raise your awareness. Just look around. I, I know that for me, when I started looking for this sort of thing just recently, I saw it everywhere, down to, you know, what kind of candy bars you like. You like chocolate, or do you like white chocolate? You know, well, that's a tribe. You know, the left tricks, the light right twigs, those commercials that are on right now, it's everywhere. So just pay attention, and don't be a lemming. Don't get sucked in. Don't be part of the herd. Um
1: so before we go on, I do have to credit Miles. I, I took the time to type this out. People use tribalism as an excuse to throw courtesy away. That was some, that was some good extemporaneous speak in there, Miles. Good job.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll take that.
0: <laughs> and courtesy, as I tell my children, is simply telling people that you care about them. If you're discourteous, you don't care. If you care but are discourteous, then you're, you're not acting in a way that is, is what you think. So courtesy is important. All right, any 30 seconds to to wrap this up. Miles, go.
2: If you have been in a tribe that you feel you've been oppressed uh, for, or the tribe as a whole feels like they've been oppressed, it's important that you as an individual can rise above that and look at every situation in that the future is not always dictated to by what the past is. In other words, rise above that position as an oppressed tribe and think for the future and think, what can we all do to get along and make the world a better place?
1: Seth, go. The two strongest groups of any tribe are those who have swallowed the lie, hook, line, and sinker, and those who have reasoned it out and decided that's the place they want to be. So... If you're going to be strong for something, make sure it's because you reasoned it and not because you thought the packaging looked good and then you're like, oh, crap, I'm in too deep to get
0: out. Wow. Good stuff, guys. And I only have one thing to say to add it up. Seth, what happened this week in history?
1: All right, Mark. Well, this week we're doing a week in history and not a day in history because the exact date is unknown. Sometime at the end of August in 1988, the IRC was born, born, born. Uh sorry. In late summer of nineteen eighty eight, Jarcaro Oki uh something is it starts with an oh I'm sorry I can he's, barely speak in English. Yes. Um he unleashed the he unleashed IRC upon the world from the University of Olu in Finland. He got in touch with people at the University of Denver and Oregon State University across the pond. Uh, they had their own IRC network running and wanted to connect to the Finnish network. They had gotten the program from one of his friends, and then another non-English name I can't pronounce. Um, uh, he was the first non-Finnish person to use IRC. IRC then grew larger and got used on the entire Finnish national network, FUnet, and then connected to Norton Net, the Scandinavian branch of the Internet, and in the in November of 1988, IRC had spread across the internet, and in the middle of 89, there were some 40 servers worldwide. And that happened this week in history, Mark. And now, back to you.
0: IRC, in case you don't know, Internet Relay Chat, it's been around for a long time um it's years? still around we're using it right now when i say that agenda is in the chat room that is an irc chat room that is still going it's pretty much nerds only but that's okay we we the, our tribe needs a place to hang out and irc is still it uh that's cool 1988 uh, everything you know you never think of things as uh some things as having an inventor you just think of it as being around like right? sliced bread you know somebody invented that and, right. and irc you know it's ubiquitous but somebody invented it that's cool and stuff
1: he doesn't know the exact date he said it was by the end of august so it was uh he it was something he was doing in addition to his summer job so this is just kind of you know um FOSS software rules the world <laughs>
0: So I used to say, "What do you have to lower my productivity?" That's making you seem like a better hiring option. But lately, you seem to be finding ways for me to throw my one money away. So Seth, what is the way uh, this week that you have me shouting, "Take my money"?
1: All right. Well, if you have ever had a can opener and thought, "Can I use this to make a cheeseburger?" Well, <laughs> look no further. There is a website. <laughs> where you can order a cheeseburger in a can and have it shipped to you. I reached out to them, but they didn't contact me back because this is basically um, a British thing. And so the shipping would make it extraordinarily expensive. It's not something you would probably want a lot of, but it's one of those, you know, if they had American options, I would get one just to get it. Um, I did some research on other cheeseburgers in a can, and this one woman who um, she reviewed her experiences and said, You know, I would not, <laughs> I would not foster the rape of my senses like that upon <laughs> another whippy person. But uh, her description was not of this product, but of a different cheeseburger in a can. So, cheeseburger in a can, it's from Britain. Uh, uh, hell Britannia, Britain rules the world. Woohoo! Fish and chips and cheeseburgers
0: in a can. This is awesome. the the uh, The tagline on the website is: "This is so good it would bring a tear to glass eyes." <laughs> I I so now want a cheeseburger in a can. I I don't want to eat it, mind you. I just want to have it on the counter as a discussion piece.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, that, just, that's what this is for. Because I. Uh, I personally doubt it would be good, but it's one of those things, you know, that you need to. If it, this should be a bucket list item, you know, that maybe we ought to call this the bucket list of links. And this <laughs> is something everybody needs to do: is to order and eat cheeseburger in a can. It's the whole
0: bun and everything in the can. It looks like, maybe it is. How yes, do you can a bun? And the cheese isn't melted. So so an important part of the canning process is heat. And yet the cheese isn't melted. So that means it's not cheese. What is this thing? It's some percent cheese. (laughs) At one point, some part of it used to be milk.
1: Um, Yes. Um, Cheeseburger is
2: a class of things and not a descriptive title. (laughs) I'm going to make sure next time I order a cheeseburger, I ask the guy serving me, did this come in a can? (laughs) <laughs> oh
0: wow that's amazing seth I, I love the fact that we can always count on you to bring the randomness that's why this section is called dev random because man you could uh you could write some good cryptology out of the randomness from these links um <laughs> So this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feed back to us, how you can comment. Tell me um, your thoughts on the whole tribalism thing. Remember, I asked the question, uh, is my mindset uniquely American? This is this is a show of American people, and sometimes we have a very Amero-centric view. Um, North American, South Americans get a little frustrated when we c- claim all of America. Uh, this is a North American mindset. So uh, I personally believe... <laughs> So I would um, I would I would like to know your thoughts. Go to elementop.com, E L E M E N T O P I E. Element com. Click the contact us button at the top of the page. Answer the world's hardest captcha. For example, what plant grows in a cornfield? If you can't answer that, you can't leave me feedback. And then you can fill out the form there and that sends an email that gets priority in my inbox. And I look forward to hearing to those. Or you can dial 559 im OP and leave us a voicemail. Haven't had one of those in a while. Or you can send an email to geekrant at elementop.com all of those three things will get to the same place my inbox and we will know what you have to say also throw money at us that's a thing now uh, one of the things we were going to talk about and we may talk about it next week is uh how to chase your passion while by while making a living right and this show by the way is my passion not this show in particular But the doing this thing, entertaining, educating, um, speaking uh, extemporaneously, this is the thing that I would like this to be my livelihood. I would like to do this for the rest of my life. I would like to provide content to you and people like you forever. But right now I have a job where I'm working, you know, 50 to 60 hours every week because I can't afford to do my passion. And I know I'm not the only one who's having that problem. Uh, And we're going to have a discussion about that, but... You could help fulfill my dream for less than the cost of a Starbucks. So ask yourself. Or less than the cost of a cheeseburger in a can. There you go. (laughs) Does this show bring you $5 worth of entertainment a month? If so, now ask the question, are you the kind of person for whom $5 a month is something you won't notice? For some of you, the answer to that is no. You cannot afford $5 a month. Okay, that's fine. Some of you absolutely can afford $5 a month and would never notice it. That's a dollar twenty five an episode if we do four episodes a week. Go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon.com slash elementopi, and leave us pledge a buck and a quarter. That's five dollars a month. You won't notice it. You'll help fund my dream. But really the first question is the thing if this show is worth five dollars to you, pay for what you like. If it's not, then don't pay for it. I don't I don't want a handout. I don't want charity. I want to be worth what, what you pay me. So there you go. An unsolicited advertisement. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Guys, any final words of wisdom before we say goodnight? Good job,
2: guys. Cr- crickets.
0: All right. Fun discussion. I like these off-the-cuff things. Uh, it's, it's nice when we do research and we have things prepared, but it's also fun to just extemporize and, and speak while thinking. Um, and this was a good one
1: have we ever done research and had
0: stuff prepared ah, shh. we don't need that <laughs> <laughs> all right everybody thanks for listening we'll see you next week because that's it for this episode of the geek Rat. and remember pay for what you like dang it